Good morning, everyone. We're going to be continuing our Old Testament series, and uh, this isn't actually what I'd planned. I'd planned uh, a sermon next, uh, following on from last week, and I was just praying about it, and an idea came to my mind, which I, I feel is from the Lord, of, of actually doing something slightly different this time, and following on more directly from last week. So last week, I talked about what God responds to. We went through seven ideas, suggestions, for how God responds to us, looking at stories in the Bible of God responding. And as I was praying about this, the idea, the story came to mind of Naaman, who was healed from his skin disease. And um, my immediate reflex was to dismiss this because most of us know the story very well, probably from being a kid. It's a great favorite in a kid's church because, you know, one of the, the hero of the story is a, a young girl, you know, and kids can relate to it. And you can easily apply it to them. So, uh, but then um, the more I thought about it, the more I excite, ex- excited I got about the depth of this story. And stuff that as I was unpacking, I thought, wow, there is so much in there that uh, we need to be looking at this story. There is just so much. And uh, I think um, I've, I've put here as a goal, we should change the way we view ourselves. Um, maybe I'd like to extend that um, and um, and do some reversals because the story here is about switching things of our opposites, and maybe we need to do some reversals on ourselves. So the story is actually four scenes, and they're really quite precisely marked out. And uh, the first one is what power and wealth can do for you. The second is what does humility mean? The third is what does God want from us? And the fourth I've entitled The Temptation That Is So Strong. And what's really cool about this, and you'll probably tell I'm quite excited about this, is just the beauty in the way this is laid out as a story. Each, each of these four stories is marked out very carefully with a beginning and an end. And it has, um, actually, I'll, I've got a little diagram. I'll show you just a minute. Um, it's got a, like a... Um, just a beautiful structure, the way it's laid out, with a message for us. And so we're going to look at each story. We're going to look at the artistry that goes through it. We're going to look at the message for then, and we're going to look at the message for us. And we're going to do this for all four of them. So I said there's, a, there's an artistry, there's a pattern. And the pattern goes something like this. There's an initial statement, a statement of the state. And offer there's some key words that are used in that statement. And those are repeated at the end, so we know when the, the book at the end are. And then there's the first phase of the story, which is based on false ideas. Then there's a reversal of that. And there's a point where everything completely flips over. And then you've got the final state, uh, which kind of matches the original one, but something has changed because of this reversal. And it's really cool because when you see each of these four, you'll see each one's got a specific thing that we need to reverse, we need to look at reversing. 
And so what I'm going to do here is to take you through them. And I'm going to, I'm going to just switch to another screen here to show you what, how these, how these look. Cause I want to, um, I want to have enough space that you can see what's happening. So we start with the original statement, uh, of the, that is like, if you like, the title of the whole story. And it's this. Now, Naaman, the commander of the king, king of Syria's army, was esteemed and respected by his master, for through him the Lord had given Syria military victories. Now, we're going to come back to that kind of problematic statement that the Lord had given Syria victories. Uh, but this great warrior had a skin disease. The best translation is to call it skin disease, not leprosy, because the, the Hebrew doesn't actually say leprosy. And that, and, and, uh, when, you know, early translations of the Bible, leprosy wasn't well defined in terms of an exact medical thing. But nowadays we think of leprosy as Hansen's disease, which is a very specific thing. And it, it probably wasn't Hansen's disease. So it's best not to be, to give it a specific diagnosis because they didn't in those days. It's just a disease and it seems to be a white, whiteness on the skin, but it's, it, it's pretty serious. Um, this great warrior had a skin disease. So this sets up the story. So now we have the story. We've got the, the four parts to it. We've got the initial statement here. Raiding parties went out from Syria and took captive from the land of Israel a young girl who became a servant to Naaman's wife. A young girl, servant of Naaman's wife. She told her mistress, if only my master were in the presence of the prophet who's in Samaria, then he would cure him of his skin disease. Now, there's a number of surprising things in this story, and we're going to come back to what they are. And uh, but we, So this is like the initial statement. Then we have the actions based on the wrong ideas. Um, Naaman went and told his master what the girl from the land of Israel had said. The king of Syria said, Go... I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman went, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 suits of clothes. So he comes with this massive payment. And there's some some assumptions in there which we're going to look at. But first of all, there's some surprising things in this. Um, This captive girl... um, that she would be concerned for her captors who've taken her prisoner, that she's actually concerned to get him healed. Kind of surprising. Um, that, that she would know more, as we'll see later, know more than the king of Israel about who is actually can do healing. Um, that, uh, but it's also surprising that she'd be taken so seriously by Naaman and then by the king. And I think we should put this down to God's supernatural power in there. I mean, captive servant girls usually wouldn't launch such an expedition just because they've come up with an idea. But this has happened, and I think we're going to see part of the point of the story is actually what's happened here. Um, uh, then let's, let's look what happens. So they arrive with this amazing amount of money, and we say, we read, he brought the letter to the king of Israel. It read, this is a letter of introduction for my servant Naaman, whom I've sent to be cured of his skin disease. 
When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God? Can I kill or restore life? Why does he ask me to cure a man of his skin disease? Certainly you must see that he's looking for an excuse to fight me. So he thought this is just um, some kind of excuse so he can uh, legitimately say, oh, you know, he failed to do this, we're going to attack his country. And so he's, he's, he's uh, frightened, he tears his clothes. When Elisha the prophet heard the king had torn his clothes, he sent a message to the king, why did you tear your clothes? Send him to me so that he may know there is a prophet in Israel. So prophet in Israel, I should have highlighted that phrase in red because that that matches one, one in the beginning there, the prophets in Samaria, she says. So here we have then the false idea. And I want to, I want to suggest to you that the false idea here is where is, is that power and wealth will get you what you want. It's power and wealth that they have. And this is they, they, this is what, this is how society worked then. And this is how people believe society works now. You have the power and you have the wealth. You can get what you want. And, um, uh, oh, and we tend to be convinced by that as well because we, we live in this world and we absorb these ideas that to live a good life, you need power and wealth. Now, I want to say, injustice leading to disempowerment is always wrong. Financial inequalities are always wrong. That, But that is not the point of the story here. The point of the story is that God loves reversing things. And who has the power in this story? Who's the one in the story we read who's got the power? It's the young servant girl, isn't it, who's launched this whole thing. So this is the irony. She is the one who has the power. And I really want us to get this because I actually think this is the main point of the whole thing. We can feel powerless. Like, who are we? Like, we're nothing. And she wasn't just nothing. She was a nothing in captivity in, in the eyes of those days. And yet she is the one that launches this expedition because God gives her power. She is the one who actually, in fact, over the whole story, is the one who is the one who has the most the most effect. And so, um, I want this story to change how you view yourselves, because we often view ourselves in the categories the world uses, and we view ourselves in terms of how much power we have and how much money we have, and that we allow ourselves to be defined by that. I want this story to define how uh, your own significance. Because if you're a child of God, then you are doing this sort of thing all the time, probably without realizing it. Because you are actually far, far more important than all of those other people. So I, I want you, this story, to redefine how you think of yourself. I mean, she didn't even have a lot of courage. She just suggested this to her mistress. But what she did have was love. What she did have, I said, you know, it's surprising that you know this is her captor. But actually, she's, she's acting here in a very loving way, a very compassionate, to people who don't deserve her compassion. And so uh, she, is, she is showing the heart of God in this situation. So that's really, I think, the main point that I think we need to take from this first story is this complete reversal. 
that the people who think they have power and wealth can get nothing because of that. And yet, the one who appears to be nothing is actually the one who initiates and launches this whole thing. Um, so you can see why I'm fired up about this. I think this is just amazing. This just incredible story that's here. So let's go on then and, and read the next part. So the next part here we have, um, uh, we have it st- uh, start with, Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood in the doorway of Elisha's house. So this is where the story starts. This is where it ends. Elisha sent out a messenger who told him, go wash seven times in the Jordan and your skin will be restored and you'll be healed. Naaman went away angry. He said, look, I thought, I thought for sure he would come out, stand there, invoke the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the area and the cure and cure the skin disease. <laughs> So he was like thinking, you know, this is how holy men, uh, shamans behave. And that, but, but what about what he's been told to do? Washing the Jordan? The rivers of Damascus and Abana and Farfar are far better off than the waters, any of the waters of Israel. Could I not wash in them and be healed? And so he turned around and went away angry. So he noticed two things that are making him angry. First of all, I'm special and I wasn't treated as special. Like he didn't even come to the door, just sent his servant. So I'm special. And the second thing that's making him angry is that um, it turns out, we'll see in a minute, he'd wanted to make a deal with God. He'd like, he'd wanted some kind of thing to do. Now what happens is we can see the second part here, the reversal. His servants approached and said to him, Oh master, If the prophet had told you some difficult task, you would have been willing to do it. So this is, they've identified the second thing that's making him angry. He wants to make a deal with God. Uh, He doesn't feel that he feels God's not treating him as a special, and he wants to make a deal. It seems you should be happy that he simply said, wash and you'll be healed. Now, what's actually surprising about this is that his servants had the courage to say this to him because it's kind of a bit um, critical. And what's very critical, really, it's uh, when you think about what they're saying, they're willing to do it, um, and he listens to them, which is also surprising. And so um, who are the ones with the power in this story? It's actually the servants here. They're the ones that change things around. So this is a reversal as well. Um, and the, he went down and dipped in the Jordan seven times, as the prophet had instructed. His skin became as smooth as a child, young child's, and he was healed. And he, he and his entire entourage returned to the prophet. Naaman came and stood before him. So we have the the, the, the return then, and we end up with him, at the, as at the beginning, standing in the doorway of Elisha's house. So, um, what is it? What can we learn from this? Uh, Well, it's his lack of acknowledgement of his importance that really makes him angry. And he's he's really really upset by this. Um, What? But I want to ask you: What is it that 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 um, we can learn from this? What can we take from this? 
What, what is it we can take from this? So I want to suggest to you, it's not that, um, that we're nothing, that like, you know, we're, n- nobody is in anything. Everybody has got, uh, has got in God's eyes is equal. Everybody needs to have self-respect. That's not what it's about. But it's the idea of, of God needs to listen to me because I'm important. I'm, you know, I'm somebody special. Um, I'm more important than this other person over here. And feeling that I can make a deal with God rather than saying, no, I don't have anything that I can bring to God that's worth it. Uh, I, I'm just going to come and, and throw myself on God and, and just simply allow, uh, do what he told me to do and trust him. And this is something, of course, applies to all of us, that simply trusting him, simply, we, we all want to add something to it, but simply trusting. You know, God has told us how to live this life. Jesus has laid out for us what we should do. He's given us the Sermon on the Mount. He's given us lots of things. And and uh, somehow we want to make this more complex. You know, we want to give all sorts of extra things that we want to add on top of it. And Okay, that doesn't mean to say we shouldn't do great things for God, but let's actually not feel that there's a bargain involved here. That God will give us purely coming to him, purely asking. He will give us what we need. He'll provide for us. And and so this mindset that I think we need to get in the second one is uh, that that the mindset is... Not being special, but just coming very simply to God. Coming very simply and not trying to do some sort of bargain with him. Not sort of deal with God. So, um, what's interesting then is that we come on to another story, and this other story is framed by this conversation that he has with, uh, uh, with Elisha. And it says... He begins, he says, for sure I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now this is quite a statement. This is quite amazing that he should do this. And I would suggest to you that God has actually given him a revelation. Um, just as last week I talked about making a progress in faith, and as people made progress, they got more. And God has given him this revelation because he actually did the step in humility. He did what God asked. God has actually revealed to him, actually, you know what? Uh, this this is, I am the God of all the earth. Um, and so he makes the statement. <clears throat> then here's the problematic part. Now, please, accept a gift from your servant. But Elisha replied, as certainly as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will take nothing from you. Naaman insisted that you take it, but he refused. So what's going on here? Um, He wants to do a transaction with God. He wants some sort of thing. Well, you did this for me. I did this for you. And have like a model. Okay, God. You are the God of the, of the earth. We're going to enter into a, a, a lifestyle here where we have transactions. And, uh, uh, you know, and we can do this in our own life. We can have a, a model where, you know, I'm going to give God this and this. You know, I, I, I worship God on Sundays. I do this. Um, many uh, decades ago, I was teaching um, a, a, a group of people on, um, we were doing a series of studies, and one of them was on Christians and money. 
And uh, I was, you know, talking about how everything that we have belongs to God and, you know, we use our money for him. And somebody came up to me afterwards and they said, um, I didn't think I agree with what you said. I said, oh, okay, well, what do you think? Well, we give. if I give God 10%, then that's God's and the rest of it's mine and I can do what I want with it. And <laughs> no, that is very, very wrong. That is not what God is teaching in the Bible. It all belongs to him. And, um, uh, but this is the model that, he, that Nebuchadnezzar had. Like, I've got parts of my life which belong to God. And the deal is, that God, if God gets those, I get his blessing and the rest of it. And you can see this so commonly in Christian circles. Even though people might not say it as brutally as I just have, it's there. You know, um, you know, this is what I do for God. And, and I get, and, you know, and he gives this to me. And uh, so although he's serving the true God, and you could say he's now a believer, he's now a follower of God, he's not a good believer, and he needs to have this reversal in his heart. And it's really, really beautiful the way this is done in this reversal. Okay, so what does he do? He says, please give your servants a load of dirt, enough for a pair of mules to carry, for your servant will never again offer a burnt offering or sacrifice to God other than the Lord. So what's going on there? He's actually realized that God is not worshipped with images. Because if he didn't, he would say, oh, could one of your craftsmen ca- ca- carve me an image of God because I want to worship him? No, all he's going to take is some dirt to represent the land because he knows this is God's land and the dirt is just a representative. He's not going to worship the dirt. Nobody worships dirt. You know, he's probably going to spread it out and maybe when he sacrifices, he'll be on that. But it's really representative of God. So he understands that God is not appearing in a vis- visible form as, a, as an idol. Um, and But the other thing, which is really quite amazing, he understands that worshipping God, God is exclusive. The God wants us to worship him exclusively. And this is actually extraordinary in the ancient world because you just added another God onto those you worship. This is how it worked. Oh, that God seems to be powerful. I'll pull that one in and make sacrifices. And not only does he, as he say, he gives an example. He says, may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Rimmon to worship and he leans on my arm, you know, the weight of him leaning on my arm might make me bow down slightly. <laughs> Please don't think, may God not think I'm actually bowing down to that God. You know, I'm just bowing down because I'm carrying the guy's weight. So that's how concerned he is that he should be worshiping God exclusively. And what's interesting is this is actually the opposite to how it starts off. Because God is not a transactional God that, you know, we give him something and then like we can, he gives us something back. No, God's the one who we give everything to. So he's moved from the model of the first half, like I'm going to pay you a deal and then we're all square, to one where God, you have all of my allegiance. And um, so... Once again, I think that this is so relevant to us today. By the way, the statement in verse 19, that Elisha says to him, go in peace. I really think what he's saying is, Elisha says, you got it. Yeah, this is good. You're, you're, you're all set now. Because um, at that point, if there's anything he was misunderstanding, Elisha wouldn't have held back from telling him. So this is like the conclusion of this part of the story. And uh, so it really speaks to us, I think, that if this pagan uh, ruler uh, can can 
get so quickly what it means, what God is looking for, what God wants from us to respond to, then we should be able to, we should be able to get that. We should, we should give attention to that. So I want to challenge you. Other is, are you living your life like that, like a transaction? Here's God, you know, this is what he wants. And I, you know, we do a deal here. Or do you recognize that he wants everything? Like he's, he's, he wants you entirely. He wants you entirely. So, so that is, uh, that's the, the, the uh, the third of the four stories. And I actually wanted to leave it there because, you know, it's nice now and we've had a nice ending to the story. And originally I was going to leave it there, but I kind of felt, you know, I shouldn't really because the rest of the story is there and I really ought to be faithful to the scriptures here and carry on because I didn't want to leave on a downer. But there we go. Um, uh, here's the last story. Uh, when he'd gone a short distance, um, let's get this. Right here. Come on. When he'd gone a short distance, Gehazi the prophet Elisha's servant thought, Look, my master did not accept what this Syrian Naaman offered him. As certainly as the Lord lives, I will run after him and accept something from him. And uh, so what's happening here? He says, Look, what is there to lose here? Like, this is money on the table. Would you leave, we should leave it there. So Gehazi ran after Naaman. When Naaman saw someone running after him, he got down from his chariot to meet him and asked, is everything all right? He answered, everything's fine. And he comes up with this story that's very clever because it's quite plausible as a reason why Elisha should have changed his mind. My master sent me with this message. Look, two servants of the prophets just arrived from the Ephraimite hill country. Please give them a talent of silver and two suits of clothes. She doesn't ask for too much because he doesn't want to trigger any any suspicion. Uh, this kind of would match it. Naaman said, please accept two talents of silver. He insisted and tied up the two talents of silver in two bags um, along with two suits of clothes. So... That's the uh, that's the first half, and then we get the the, the switch. Um, he gave them to two of his servants, and they carried them for Gehazi. When he arrived at the hill, they took he took them from the servants and put them in the house. Then he sent the men on their way. When he came and stood before his master, Elisha asked him, "Where have you been, Gehazi?" He answered, "Your servant hasn't been anywhere." Elisha replied, I was there in spirit when a man turned and got down from his chariot to meet you. This is not the proper time to accept silver or accept gold, sorry, accept clothes. And then he's like looking how this is going to lead. Olive groves, vineyard, sheep, cattle, and male and female servants. Therefore, Naaman's skin disease will afflict you and your descendants forever. When Gehazi went out from his presence, his skin was as white as snow. Now, it's not entirely a bad ending because Gehazi, we're not finished with him yet. He appears in other stories and something has happened and he's repented and whatever and he doesn't have the leprosy anymore in the later stories. So, so we don't read exactly how that happened, but, um, but it's, um, there is a way back for him to forgiveness. But what's interesting here is this is so, um, so relevant to today where we see a little loophole 
You know, what a, what a waste. That money, it's just a waste there. You know, this is just a tiny little thing. I can just package it up so nobody's suspicious. And uh, we can, we can, um, we can tell a story to ourselves and we can rationalize it. We can rationalize it just as he did and we can do something. And so I want to challenge you. Is there anything you're doing that you're rationalizing in your life that is really in the light of day? Huh, it's not quite proper, but you've got some like little rules around it that you think, ah, that enables it to be okay. But actually it's not, given the full light of day. I want to challenge you. Because what actually happens is that actually turns out to be, that is actually the leprosy. So what starts off, the leprosy starts off, is actually almost like a symbol of this unbelief in God. Um, And it's almost like he gets it, it shows on him. It's almost like a visible manifestation of where his heart is. And so I want to challenge you that... um, God can see everything. So Elisha gets shown in spirit all the details because God can see them. He can see everything that's happening. And so I want to challenge you in your life. Is that where you are in your life? So um, let's let's then um, look at our... Um, let's look at our uh, stories then. We've got the first story what power and wealth can do for you. And we see a reversal from them assuming power and wealth can do everything. And actually, this servant, this young girl, it specifically says young girl, she is the one who has all the power in God's, because God has reversed things. And my message from that is, how do you think of yourself? How do you consider yourself? Do you think you're nothing because you're not one of the wealthy, powerful people that this world tends to ass- assess with importance? No, I want you to raise yourself up and think, I'm as, I'm at the same power as this servant girl. I can actually do amazing things, even maybe without knowing them. I don't know how much the girl learned of the, the full story. I actually think she probably did because I think the guy came back and told her and said, I'm worshipping your God now. <laughs> Let's worship him together. Like, you can show me how to do it. Um, because, you know, she was the only other worshipper that he knew of, 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 of the God of Israel. But so I think she would have heard the whole story. But even if she hadn't, then God is using the, her in this amazingly powerful way. And if you want to look at the entire story, that I think is the main message, that she is the one that initiates this entire story through... Um, just doing something seemingly just out of love, that not realizing its repercussions. What does humility mean? So, so uh, here's the not wanting to wash uh, in the Jordan, and and really the, the the two things the two things that I had there in in that in that statement were um, uh, wanting to be thought of as being really significant and wanting to, to, to do something for God that's special and this like idea of that I'm more special than other people are and 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 and, and moving away from that. And the, the third one, what does God want from us? And this is the story of trying to pay some money. And what God wants for us is not not a transactional kind of life. He wants our exclusive allegiance to him. 
This is the third message from the story. And the fourth message to the story is the one heard. The temptation is so strong. Recognize how strong the temptation is. Just be alive to that in your life, to the strong, the temptation that you have. Now, um, I have a, oops, here we go. I have a bonus story, yeah? Uh, there's one more story about Naaman. Anybody know where it is? Well, it's actually, let me just jump past these. It's in Luke 4. So, here's the story in Luke 4. And there were many lepers, this is Jesus speaking, in Israel in the time of prophet Elisha. Yet none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up and forced him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built so they could throw him down the cliff. But he passed through the crowd and went on his way. So what's going on in here? Why are they so angry about this? Because because Jesus is saying, God actually cares for all of humanity. He doesn't care just for you. And God has always been caring for all of humanity. And I want to take this, like, this is probably what inspires me most about the story. And I want to end with this. That this is a story of God reaching into almost reaching into darkness. He's reaching into this place where almost nothing is known about him. He reaches in there and he sends a servant girl in there by his supernatural providence. He sends her in there and her action brings light and somebody comes to know him. And this like beacon of light and who knows what happens as a result of that. I want, to, I want to suggest that this isn't an isolated incident. I want to suggest that when we get to heaven, we will be amazed at the rich tapestry across the entire world of what God was doing and has been doing since the beginning of time. And this story, I, I believe, is not given to us as being a unique thing, but it's a pattern. It's the kind of way God works. And when it says, I told you at the, at the beginning, when it says God gave them victories, God gave the, the Syria victories, and you think, well, why is he giving this heathen kingdom victories? I want to say that God is sovereign, and God is in control of everything, and we can have a very simplistic view, oh no, you know, it's bad to let bad kings win battles, but actually nobody's pure, good and bad, and God, things that appear to be bad, God is working such complexity in everything, like a, a, a tapestry that's all of these colors woven together. And he's doing things which we are going to gasp at when we get to heaven. He's doing things that are amazing. And he's doing things with the weak and the insignificant, like this servant girl. But not just there, he's doing them everywhere. And I really want us to be encouraged by this. Because, you know, you don't know, but when you get to heaven, you might discover that some odd word that you said in some situation actually had repercussions. You know, just like the story of the butterfly's wings, you know, causing a weather changes the other side of the world. You know, you may do some little thing that's an act of love, and that act of love bears amazing fruit. And so I think that the, the final take on this story is praising God that he can bring light into such darkness and hope into such desolation in such a crazy way.
And he doesn't need power. He delights in reversing power structures. So through the, the one who apparently has no power, he actually brings seismic change. And so I want to, I want to encourage us Each one of us, and this is my final takeaway, I've given you a lot of takeaways during this, this is my final one, is the same as the first one. How do you think of yourself? I want you to recategorize yourself in terms of this servant girl as somebody who's been placed by God in your situation. You are placed in in your situation, whatever, probably in different situations that you're in right now in your life, whether it's work or home or whatever, but you are placed there and you are incredibly powerful there. You can do amazing things and probably you won't ever learn the results of what you've done until heaven because of the, the complexity of what God does. He is an amazing God. He's an extraordinary God. You know, I just want to worship him now. I'm just, as I, as I read this story, I was kept awake at last last night just thinking about how amazing this story was and just being filled with it. It's just so, made such an impact on me and I hope it has. I hope I've communicated some of that to you. So I just want to praise God right now. And like we've seen, we prayed earlier about the, the, the troubles in the world right now. And I think this gives us a context of a God who is doing amazing things all the time. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for this extraordinary story you've given us. And Lord, we pray that the different messages contained in it, each one of them, you will speak them into our lives where we need them. But Lord, most of all, I pray that you would help us to see ourselves, if we are following you, if we are Christians, as incredibly important, as immensely powerful, in terms of accomplishing your plan. We are needles threading the colors of the tapestry that you are making of history and of time. And Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, we are in awe of you. We are in awe of the beauty of what you do. We are in awe. In the name of Jesus, we thank you. Amen.